Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. It's Friday. We're gonna have a couple of drinks, Molly and I. Uh, it's been that kind of week slash month mm, slash quarter <laughs> slash year. <laughs> so why not? We pop some bottles mm. and we're starting off with some VC talk. There was a story about VCs hiring ghostwriters for thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars to write their tweets. And then really interesting story, Molly, about VCs investing vcs like sequoia and Andreessen hearts investing in publicly traded companies now because hey maybe it's a great opportunity or they can't find great late stage deals for their growth funds yeah use this bounce along the bottom to scoop up the companies you wish you had invested in the first time around Seems when they like were private yeah yeah some make very interesting and then we're going to dive into a little bit of metaverse talk with mm. a possible warning for founders it turns out that at least one highly capitalized and got a lot of press startup metaverse startup decentraland doesn't have that many daily users mm. let's just yeah put it's a little way. rough a little rough yeah. and they you know these these web3 projects sometimes they have incredible sales when they sell the land or the tokens or the nfts and then they don't actually have user adoption and that's really putting the cart before the horse you're making the money and then you're you're, you're trying to get product market fit it's usually better the other way around finally netflix has got their ad tier out and i think this might even be worthy of a j trade dare i say Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. We'll know soon enough. And then Rachel comes on. She's got another segment of OK Boomer to talk to Saturday founder Cliff Lerner and this idea that just keeps coming around mm. of just using your location to find your friends. So simple. I love it. Yeah. So great. Every, every two or three years, another co company tries to take a stab at it this, and we'll see if this year, uh, if it actually works. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by... Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever, and right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. Assure is the leading provider of special purpose vehicles and fund administration with over 5,000 completed transactions and $2.5 billion under administration. Twist listeners can get 20% off their first SPV at assure.co slash twist. That's assure.co slash twist. And House of Macadamias is the next big health trend. Get 20% off your first purchase at houseofmacadamias.com slash twist by using code twist20. All right, everybody, it's Friday. Molly and I are ready to get this party started. Cheers, Molly. Cheers. Clink. Uh, uh, clink. Mm. Yeah, we're, having a, little, we're yeah. having a little happy hour taping. Mm. I have to tell you, um, my man Chamath, uh, Polyhapatia, he got me into this Vin Santo. This is a Vin I like Santo. how you say his last name. We've heard of him. Yeah, we know who you mean. This is Castellan uh, Villa. Vincente. It's an Italian Vinsanto, which is uh, essentially like a, a dessert wine. Mm -hmm. You know, fortified mm -hmm. dessert wines, ports, and those kind of things. I oh, am yeah. a big fan of these. Um, and he uh, put me onto this one, and then you know, like like my friends are apt to do. He sent me like a case of them. It was very nice of him. It's not absurdly expensive, and uh, you know, in terms of the Chamath seller, but you know, very nice to get a case of those. And um, I like to sip it. It takes me a little while to get through a bottle, but since it's fortified, it lasts a little while, like a port yeah. bottle will last. Are you drinking something special or just like a well, $5? Just like, you know what? Chocolate um, Come on. It's like $14. <laughs> I love I No judgment. I love a $13 to $20. Like, in, if you buy a California wine between $13 yeah. and $20, it's going to be good. Yeah. But that's what I'm just, true, yeah, yeah, it's just a, it's a red blend. I love a red blend. Mm. Nice. I'm not going to buy a case of it, but it's just working great. 
now I, I see you're not at home in the uh, in the normal studio. Where are you? It's true. I'm in. A, I'm be, I'm having a digital nomad adventure. Mm. I am just a little bit east oh, nice. of San Diego. I'm in Southern California. I can see the Salton Sea from here. Oh wow! Just kind of just a, because what's weird about that is that it's a super like mountain cabin. We're mm. in the mountains, like up a little bit high. It's like yeah. a girl's trip. I was nice. I came here because I had read that it has amazing uh, fall foliage. Nice, which sure. I'm sure that it does a month from now. <laughs> they gotcha. <laughs> they gotcha. So I'm looking out at a beautiful Green Valley. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad. You it's know, fine. it's nice that right. we have this nomadic lifestyle. And um, yeah, nice. Get a little weekend in for yourself and your girlfriends. I love it. Uh, I, we just taped am. the uh, we just taped the 100th episode of the All In podcast. Quite nice. I think it's going to be a big hit. It? it was good. We were like in a very loving, you know, it was kind of like an anniversary. You're kind of thinking about all the good times. And one of my co-hosts there, David Sachs, if, uh, if you've heard of him, Craft Ventures, uh -huh. yeah. he's very passionate about Russia's invasion of the of Ukraine. God, mm -hmm. I keep saying the. We were and raised on it. It's hard to shake. It's a hard to shake yeah, thing. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I, I am aware of it and I'm working on it. So I correct myself every time, like I'm sure <laughs> a million other people do every day. But it was an interesting moment because I asked him three times, three, one, two, three, do you support the United States forcing Zelensky uh, and Ukraine to the table in order to get a negotiated settlement before this becomes to World War III? Mm -hmm. And uh, you haven't heard it yet. It's being edited as we tape this. And it was a you can't handle the truth moment where Sachs says we're the daddy we're america these are our weapons we have and it was like a real profiling courage of him saying like you know put aside how we all think about this it's, it's very hard to understand what's going on over there there's a lot of history it's a very complicated issue obviously I'm, mm -hmm. I'm no expert on this stuff um you know and uh you know he's added some expertise but a very interesting moment in time uh where he put his foot down and said that's it you know like i think we have to uh, force a settlement here and say listen by this date you can do what you want as ukraine but you know we need you to settle this you know uh and uh, we're not going to endlessly fund this war through weapons mm. i think it's going to be a pretty uh, interesting moment i'm on the internet looking forward to hearing it it will be many interesting moments on the internet i'm sure <laughs> i'm sure a lot, right, of, lot of a lot of chit chat on the internet about a certain yeah. collection of guys and their uh and their, their sudden expertise, let's just say. Well, you know, it's one of the things I encourage people is, you know, uh, to start their own podcasts if they have strong feelings. Uh, I think podcasts are a great medium. And I also encourage people when we're talking about capital allocation on that podcast, uh, markets, mm -hmm. finance, macroeconomics, even startups, certainly uh, poker on the margins to delight and uh, absorb, take notes even uh, on our expertise. And then mm -hmm. for other topics. You are welcome to join the discussion as civilians and participate as you see fit. Yeah. Maybe you could get like a little sting. You know how sometimes we say this is not investment advice? Exactly. You get a like, this is not geopolitical advice. <laughs> Except that it Speaking totally of is. which, you know, as a former market commentator, uh, yeah. as co-host of Marketplace, feels like the market is uh, bouncing along the bottom, huh? Big inflation print today. It is. Yeah. Big. I know. That was disappointing i think it mm. probably puts the lie sounds harsh i think it pr will probably prove Vinny wrong he said mm. in a crypto roundtable he thought that the the fed mm. raise would be 50 bips instead of 75 no no chance no chance no chance that's off the table it's that's 75 the table. if not a full point 
I see yeah. I hear it's a one in five chance of that. Oh my lord. I do think this is I like mean, uh, bouncing along the bottom. I think so too. I think we will have yeah. one to two years of negative impacts. My friend who I'm here with today is the big wig mm. in the content and media space and has been saying, you know, you know, she's like, I expect our business to improve uh, roughly a year from now, spring of 2023 is yeah. when kind of, you I know, like I, I think you said advertising is like the first to go and the first to bounce back. Maybe It'll you said be first that. Maybe to she go. said that advertising first to go uh mm -hmm. and then slow to bounce back and then mm -hmm. if you there seems to be a series of you know capitulation in the markets you know and, and some things are a little bit sticky like uh housing we talked about here many times right. uh people can live in houses so unlike their holdings in crypto or in a growth stock in peloton you know they can get out of their peloton stock they can sell their bitcoin they, you know, your house takes a big considered sale, you got to find a buyer, all that stuff. So those things tend to, to take a little while. The thing that's very interesting to me is we had a million two jobs, I think, burn off in August. We'll see what happened in mm -hmm. September shortly. Those numbers are trailing, but that was a big amount of burn off there. And I think the yeah. Fed really wants to see jobs correct. And in order for jobs to correct, you know, where would you look for a bellwether for that? I think you look to Microsoft, Google uh and apple and other companies that have so much money they don't need to do a riff and mm -hmm. we've talked about the gentleman's rift here on this pod many times but you are hearing the saber rattling right you, you hear sundar saying like hey we got to mm -hmm. be more efficient you got apple saying you got to come back to work you know knowing that five percent of people will quit when you do that so it does feel like we're in the end game Chamath i think so too similarly. it doesn't i don't yeah. I mean, we should be clear when we say we're bouncing along the bottom that that the bottom is in some ways the beginning of the pain, right? It's the it's the beginning on who you like are. The, the Fed yeah. is inflicting this pain now. Mm -hmm. The indicators of the pain will be trailing, meaning yep. that the pain will get more intense. Like the beatings are not going yeah. to stop immediately. A uh, seventy-five yeah. bit yeah. or God help us one, yeah, yeah, uh, basis point raise would be. Would cause a lot will cause a lot more pain uh, well, either of those will cause a lot more pain so it's sort of like yeah. if we're at the bottom now then there's going to be the plateau <laughs> like, i think that's cruising right. along long, the valley for a while you know it's a long um, slow climb out low tide will happen and when low tide happens um you know it's we're not gonna be able to surf the you know, the big waves anymore but it's at least not gonna you know uh it's, I think it's gonna be prolonged bottom. I agree with that too. Yeah. So I'm thinking about some J trades. I was watching Amazon seems to I don't know if you saw it. Andy, um, Jassy, Jassy. Mm -hmm. Some of his comments leaked, I guess, or, or some of his notes. And he was saying, listen, we're gonna do more with less. And we're not gonna we're gonna have hiring freezes. And we're gonna get rid of people. And I encourage you to think like a startup and basically be more gritty. I think that's exactly what the market needs is for those companies to say we're going to try to give people growth and show people we can grow and have great earnings even in a down market. So the proof, as I told one founder today, you are in the show me market, not the tell me market. You have to yeah. show good results or else you're not going to get funded because they were wondering. She was like, "Hey, how come I'm not getting funded?" And I said, "Well, do you have a ten week chart that shows increases of two, three, four, five percent week over week?" Yes or no? No. Okay. <laughs> stop everything you're doing and just make that happen if you want to get funding or yeah find a path to break in profitability
Are you sick and tired of huge SaaS bills? I know I am. And switching between 10 different platforms every day, it's chaos. SaaS churn is real. And you need to check out Odoo to reduce SaaS burnout. Odoo is a suite of business apps. That's basically the only software you're ever going to need. And it's a great way to cut costs and be more productive. And listen, we all know it's a crazy market out there. You want to extend that runway because, hey, listen, it's a down market right now and you're going to have to survive. That means you're going to have to make every dollar count. So you need to check out Odoo. All of your SaaS apps will run on one platform with Odoo. So you have one customer support rep, not 10. And they have 40 main apps and 16,000 apps from their open source community. You know, important stuff, sales, marketing automation, HR, website builders, and so, so much more. And Odoo will only charge you for the apps you use. So you get more done in less time. And you're going to save a ton of money. Here's the best part. Your first app is free forever. And Odoo is offering a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. That's odoo.com slash twist for $1,000 off. Odoo.com slash twist. In all of this Meshugana, that's Meshugana. going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, in all this chaos, there's Meshugana. <laughs> I, I don't know if you saw the story. but I love it. I saw the story and I was like, what? And then Matt Levine wrote about it. And I was like, wait, is this real? <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. Why don't you cue it up and then I'll, I'll drink my... Uh, my little Vinsanto here. Explain this Meshugana to me. I mean, I will do my best. Okay, so an anonymous writer mm-hmm. told Business Insider that they made $200,000 last year ghostwriting tweets for hmm. venture capitalists. This ghostwriter claims uh, that he can write a tweet that gets as many as 4 million impressions. <laughs> Can't we all? His clients' sure. accounts range from 2,000 to 200,000 followers. He says he takes on about 20 to 25 clients at a time wow. and spends five hours a week on it. Mm-hmm. Notes that the smaller clients end up paying more because they're the ones who need the distribution and prices have ranged from $100,000 threads to $100 single tweets or this person claims some VCs just pay per month. It's like a retainer. They charge five to $10,000 a month to write 10 original tweets. And the rates go up from there because every VC wants to be you and me. Basically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, they always said Aaron from Box had a writer or a team writing his tweets because he's so funny. It just turns out he's actually funny and witty. I don't think he has a, yeah. a writer. I think he might have somebody who edits with him, like on his comms team or whatever. Uh, Aaron mm-hmm. from Box, who, by the way, just let's producers take it out. I saw Aaron the other week um, when Molly and I did our yeah. fireside chat. We should have him on the pod soon. We should. It's not crazy to think that somebody would put a ghostwriter on retainer for blogging. That's a thing. And so why not for tweets? It makes total sense. Um, 20, 25 VCs seems like a lot. Uh, the $100,000 for one thread, I don't buy that. I don't think yeah. that's a correct number. Maybe they, maybe the journalist transcribed it incorrectly. But yeah, I, I could see people paying 5000 a month for a retainer. Who cares? If you're a VC, you probably have like a 100, 200K budget to do content or, you know, to travel to events or whatever. So I mean, it does. Let's assume it's true. Let's just like stipulate that we think this is true. Sure, it's true. Yeah. What does it say to us about how important it is to have effectively a content ma- marketing strategy, no matter what your product is, even if your product is you as an investor or you as a firm? Like, would this ever yeah. have happened? before well, if no, you're a new vc if you're a new yeah. vc you need deal flow yeah so how do you get deal flow is the question people have watched me blog they watch me do podcasting uh they saw other people like fred wilson mark suster and brad fell were in that early vc investor podcasting and um, blogging mm-hmm. and then podcasting and so i think people have said you know it's kind of a prerequisite to have some social 
content marketing strategy. It's not I think actually, I would think it's kind of the opposite right now. I think since it's so flooded, uh, I think actually just being old school, if I was going to do it, I would just do meetings with other investors constantly yeah. to try to make deal flow and then, you know, tweet like maybe not that often. But sure, I think there's one of the nice things about social media is there's a scorecard, likes retweets, follows. And so you do see, you know, folks, we had Mac, uh, the VC on here, and he got he created a following and then raised a fund off of it. So it's definitely a strategy. I look at Twitter as like the new, uh, you know, conference circuit. It's a new circuit mm. where you would meet people build deal flow, meet LPs. And instead, you don't have to leave your house. And so people now perfected it. The thread is like, for me, I don't do threads anymore, because it's kind of like the thread of death. I find it like, oh, God, so I, when I see that thread logo, I'm just like, Oh, my Lord, who wrote this? And like, what? startup advice is this that yeah you know, it's commodified i think there's a lot of commodified startup advice and so when you're it, the, the the bigger important thing molly for me is how should founders take all this advice and i think they should take it with a grain of salt write it in a book maybe if it sounds notable but you know you, you need to get advice from people who've actually done the job uh, yeah. built a company or done the seo or done the whatever it is the specific thing you're trying to do it does make me wonder about the use of other platforms like this. I actually asked you the other day, I was like, okay, I'm close to publish, you know, it's been almost 10 months. I'm I'm having some thoughts about thesis yeah. companies that are appropriate for me and us yeah. as a firm. Like, I think I'm ready to write up sure. this thesis in this one page. And I was like, where should I publish this? And there's a real strong argument that I want to publish it somewhere that I can link to so someone can find it again. But really, yeah. shouldn't it just be a thread at this I mean, point? I think Which, a thread that and a will blog be a hundred thousand dollar thread people. I mean, a thread, a blog post, medium, LinkedIn come to mind, you, know, yeah. you can link to the fuller version. You know, if you just take the headings of what would be your blog post, if there were eight headings, you could just do the eight headings as you know, really concise TLDR too long didn't read. So yep. but it has whatever. to be a Twitter thread is what I'm saying. Like you got to have both. You can't do probably yeah it's I a mean, weird my twitter's world. been growing my twitter's been growing quite nicely yours has been growing quite nicely it has twitter's still the water cooler for our i think certain industries are very sticky on twitter and mm -hmm. vc happens to be one of them i think it has to also and do journalism with, ironically both those both two probably those more than any other i would argue yeah those both have to do with networking in order to get deal flow or information and they also are um industries where you are self directed in terms of your time, therefore, mm -hmm. you can slide in Twitter and leave it up all day and, and participate in it all day and justify it. Now, if you were a video editor, and you're freaking around, or you're a salesperson, and you're screwing around on Twitter all day, your boss is going to come to you and be like, shouldn't you be editing videos? Shouldn't you be talking to customers? But when you're a VC, or you're a journalist, it's like, yeah, I'm talking to sources. No, I'm sourcing yeah. deals. Yeah. So really, on a sourcing networking basis, it's really good for people who have to source stuff. And then I don't know if you saw Elon the other day, you know, tweeted about his burnt hair perfume, he sold 10,000 in an hour. And now it's up to 20,000. So, you know, if you have a big and he obviously has the largest following, but people with very big followings can and that was a joke, you know, like, you can really move stuff. I'm doing this founder university story November 14th, I'm teaching it. I tweeted about it three times. And uh, we're now at 400 people. And mm -hmm. the, the record before was 200. And we're still weeks out. And I'm like, I got, maybe we'll go for 600 or 800 people in the class. Yeah. Founder.university if you want to join the class 12 weeks, I'm teaching every Monday night at 6pm Pacific. Well, and same with our, same with our public you, grace, right? Like we've talked to several race, yes. VCs who raised their entire funds on Twitter, we're going to raise a not insignificant portion yeah. of our funds from these webinars that you tweeted about. 
Precisely. It's awesome. So it's awesome. Makes total sense. I don't know if it pl- pl- applies to every industry. I'm not sure it applies to every person, but there you go. Right. Yeah, and also in you VC news. It, you know, sure, maybe. Why not? I mean, if Why you're, not? I mean, some people are introverts. Some people are not good at writing. Now, Matt Levine did. Matt Levine did raise the point that like, what if you, you got to have your persona on Twitter, even if it's ghostwritten, cannot be that far from your real personality. Because if people then meet you or invite you to conferences and you are nowhere near that charming and funny, huh. it's going to be a problem. Yeah, that's you gotta like true. you gotta modulate. You can't like put mm. you know. I'm trying to think of someone hilarious. You can't put Wanda Sykes out there and yeah. then be Bill Gates. Like no, no, it has to be brand. Yeah, it has to be related to brand. And if you're a writer who understands capital allocation, you understand tech, and you have just a little bit of wittiness or cleverness, for sure you could do this. What I want to know is, and I, uh, if whoever this writer is, I'll give you five hundred bucks. <laughs> to give me the proof of who you did this for. So I was sending this, whoever has this information, I want to know the list of customers. I want them to out for me, who's not writing their own tweets. If somebody gives me that list, I will, I will ship you $500 on Venmo, or whatever you're using. In private, you mean in private? I'll totally do it. Yeah, somebody leak this information to me. I'll give you 500 bucks cash, no questions asked. Just leak it to me and just prove it somehow. Like give me a <laughs> screenshot of you DMing with the person or whatever. But yeah, give me the leak. I want to know who it is. I want to know who is, or just mention who you think it is. If you're an accredited investor, you need to know about special purpose vehicles. What's an SPV? It's an investment vehicle that allows 250 accredited investors to invest up to $10 million via one entry on a startup's cap table. So if you're an angel investor, you got a bunch of rich friends, maybe your poker buddies, you could start your own syndicate powered through SPVs, just like me. At thesyndicate.com, we are powered by our friends over at Shure. My syndicate has over 10,000 members and almost 5,000 of them have already done a deal and I've done over 250 deals thanks to my friends at Assure. They do all this backend and fund administration for me. They're the leading provider of SPVs and fund administration in the world with over $2.5 billion in AUA, assets under administration. And they've completed, wait for it, over 5,000 transactions. Nobody's done more. Nobody's done it better. They've developed their own innovative software called Glassboard to automate the entire investment experience from entity formation all the way to IPO. And not only do investors love it, but founders love this process as well because it keeps their cap tables nice and clean. And so you can trust them. They're really hardworking and they do a great job, super responsive. To get 20% off your first special purpose vehicle, visit assure.co slash twist, A-S-S-U-R-E dot C-O slash twist. That's assure.co slash twist to get 20% off your first SPV. In other VC news, Mm-hmm. I don't know if this story is actually super accurate. I saw this Wall Street Journal story. I think I sent it to you as well mm-hmm. about VCs not being able to find investable late stage deals. So they're looking at public market deals and saying better than some of the late stage private companies. I'll just put my money in a public company. We have talked what I feel like is happening with this Wall Street Journal story is something that we've talked about now several times, which is that you have really big firms spinning out a public equity arm, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, or allocating some of their capital toward buying public companies and and kind of scooping up, like taking advantage of what is really like a big sale in the stock store. And maybe you missed out on a deal the first time around, but you have now this equity fund alongside your venture fund, which is a trend in VC that we've talked about before. Mm. So I wasn't, I couldn't totally tell what about this was exactly new although i do think it's an interesting part of the kind of like how do you deploy capital yes and if you're maybe thinking to yourself there aren't going to be that many private companies at the stage we're at 
when mm. I got to shove a hundred million dollars into something. Yeah. When then I, going public seems like the right bolt. Yeah, on. Inve yeah. Investing in a publicly traded company already that's undervalued. You have all the data. Um, you know, a number of firms have are now registered as investment advisors, as opposed to under this venture capital uh, exception in the venture capital e exemption, you yeah. can only put like 10 or 20% of your funds um, capital into um, non traditional public market equities, whatever, it had to all be private companies under a certain age or something. It's a kind of a wonky rule. But I know that Sequoia and Andreessen went through this specifically Andreessen did it I remember because they wanted to be involved in crypto which didn't fall under this and the tokens and whatnot. Um, so this is for me I'm I'm thinking about doing some J trading now I, I am I, I said when I started the J trading process this is going to be like a, a bottoming out process so I want to pick yeah. some names maybe double down on some names. I think this would be an interesting place maybe to to look for ideas. So I would like to find out um, who Sequoia is investing in. I see that they purchased over 2.5 million shares in data analytics firm Amplitude. Mm -hmm. um, and then they bought 574,000 new shares of DoorDash. Hmm. Um, and Sequoia was the largest shareholder in both of those companies before they went public. So this is very interesting for me to watch happen. I think that this as a trend could be a super interesting way for public market investors I don't know, just to know smart people are looking at that. So now if they bought Amplitude, I'm looking up their stock here, Amplitude stock, if they Wait, bought that in Q1. We, what do we think about the fact that before they went public, Sequoia was the largest shareholder in these companies, and then now they're buying a bunch of stock? Like, is that a prop up? Well, uh, I don't think they would use investor money to prop it up. No, right. um, because these companies, you have to drill down how much cash well, they have. Well, that's my other profitable. question. Yeah. Right. My only other my other question too, in addition to, of course, they've drilled down on these companies and they probably have better, hmm. hopefully not better public yeah. information. The information part of this gets tricky because Sequoia, the firm, right? They what kind of firewall do they have? Information. They have historical, they have historical information. information. And they then, know the founders, they understand the business because they've been in it for five or 10 years. Totally. And so it yeah. probably is like a, a vote of confidence. But my other question is, is it the same LPs? Could you, can you do this with the same LPs? Like you have a, I an, think a with public equity fund? Well, they said they're going to do the Sequoia fund where if you're in the Sequoia fund, and let's say you had they invested in DoorDash, and then that went public, you could take your money in and out of the Sequoia fund every year or something yeah. in a redemption period. Yeah. And so yes, they could be taking that investor money and just increasing their position in it. And if you look at this company that they mentioned, uh, if I have the right one here, Amplitude, mm -hmm. uh, Amplitude was trading uh, January 3rd at $52 a share. And then it came crashing down. And uh, they had a 60% stock drop in February, and it's been bouncing along the bottom at $14 a share mm. since then. So it looks like, yeah. Yeah. So they were like, we know these guys, we really like them. Mm -hmm. We have great yeah. historical information on them. And so we're making a bet now that there's a discount. And they might even be on the board of this company. You never know. So, yeah. you know, this is the well, really that's interesting. Where I feel like it gets tricky. Like if you're on the board, can you do that? Well, I guess if you're on well, the yeah, board, no, you board can members still. can increase their positions. There is a process for doing that, right? They have to oh. file that they intend to do that. So if we look at the board of directors of Amplitude, about us Amplitude, let's take a look and see who's on the board. Um, I'm going to guess. Um, here we go. Board of directors. Let's see. Anybody from Sequoia? Yep. Pat Grady from Sequoia. Oh, he's is quoted on the board. in the article. There you go. Boom. So this makes sense to me, you know, um, yeah. and I like it. And this means to me that I'm going to put 
a J trade in, I think, on Amplitude. Uh, mm. I think following into, <laughs> I mean, it just seems I'm going to do some research on it before I do, but I'll put it on yeah, the docket yeah. for Monday. So if we could, uh, Ra producer Rachel, keep it on the docket, uh, just to go over Amplitude and do a deep dive on that. DoorDash, I know, uh, they're doing great. Mm -hmm. Um, and I understand that. I wonder if Andreessen Horowitz made, did in the story, did they talk about Andreessen Horowitz making any, um, they did, mm -hmm. they did. I mean, here's the thing, Molly. We mm -hmm. know that the growth stage investments before IPO last time were, in some cases, not great investments, and the stocks went down from their last private company rounds, right? So before mm -hmm. the IPO happened, and the and you could buy public shares, the private rounds were higher than where they're trading now. And so if you believed in it then, uh, why wouldn't you believe in it now? Mm -hmm. And if you're looking for a place to put money, why not? Uh, as an example, all birds raised out a $1.7 billion private valuation in September of 2020. Peaked like at a $4 billion market cap. Now it's worth $478 million. I don't know if I want to be in that, but right. it does show you that it's trading at one quarter or one it third. Looks, this is interesting yeah. too. It looks like Andreessen in the first quarter mm -hmm. bought a million new shares of Block out of its oh, $5 Square, billion yeah. growth fund, Square, mm -hmm. previously mm -hmm. Square. And Mark Andreessen has once, has apparently said in the past that Failing to back Square, which it was known as then, as a private mm -hmm. company, was one of his regrets as an mm. investor. And then Andreessen also purchased over 1.4 million shares of DoorDash out of the same fund. Huh. So DoorDash seems to be hmm. the winner here. People are triangulating on DoorDash. Just well, if you look at people have been talking about DoorDash and I'm team, I'm team DoorDash. Uh, we people look at both Uber and DoorDash as undervalued. They've become kind of like they are the Google, Yahoo, whatever you, whatever the yeah. cohort is here. I mean, you know, yeah. Google, Facebook would probably be the better analogy, with you know Uber obviously having two businesses and being much larger, uh, but Facebook having like a really carved a niche for itself. Mm -hmm. That became a duopoly in uh, advertising, and this seems to be a delivery duopoly. Yeah, that's forming. It's, it's kind of interesting. Like historically, nobody would have looked back at that. I think four years huh. ago and thought uber and doordash would be head-to-head -head competitors maybe you and travis did but other people did. well we knew that and uber almost bought doordash um i don't know how public those oh. deliberations have been but there was a there was a moment um interesting where they could have got it done for about 10 billion from what i understand i don't 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 re-aggregate that but that, that was a, if my memory serves me correctly there was a 10 billion dollar number mm. probably would have been a good idea for both companies but even still both companies are uh, making money now and they both have significant user bases and people are addicted the product market fits there now people are looking at the unit economics saying check that works and now we're out of the you know burn money free market environment so there's no choice but to be profitable you, you yeah. know if you got to lose 10 yeah. percent of your top line or customers to be profitable those businesses are going to do it and they seem like their top line and bottom line is growing at the same time so anyway this seems like a really interesting way to go about it it's interesting signal mm -hmm. um I think it's also going to make them better private market investments. You think about you and I as private market investors. We have to think about in every company we have, how is this going to fare as a public company eventually? Mm -hmm. And, you know, unit economics and the quality of the revenue is super important. In the private markets, you can kind of not worry or you, sh you should worry, but you can kind of uh, suspend disbelief. You're like, well, it's growing the top line. Eventually, there'll be a bottom line. With mm -hmm. Uber, Bill Gurley, I, and a couple of other people, Travis, we had looked at the numbers. It was like, yeah, if you add a dollar to every ride, this thing prints money. If we lose a dollar per ride now, that's a $2 swing. Is anybody going to not take an Uber or a Lyft or a DoorDash for $2? Yeah, 5% of the right. market is probably that price sensitive. The other 95% isn't if they become addicted to this. 
And sure enough, that's what's passed. Mm -hmm. Prices went up, things became profitable. And you know, the end of story. But you know, in private markets, we see a lot of companies who only focused on top line. Is Uber profitable? Um, they are cash flow profitable now. Mm. Uh, you have to, you know, there's a thing with the stock compensation and then special one-time things, either write-downs mm-hmm. of write-downs of um, holdings like Diddy. You know, a lot of those things cost mm-hmm. chaos. Uh, and so did so there were write-downs, write-ups, and write-downs and cashing yeah. outs that were occurring. And then there's a stock-based comp. But on a cash flow basis i believe the cash position is growing don't, don't quote me on this but i think uh and i don't have inside information but yes both of these businesses are now uh in the profitable kind of phase i would say awesome depends on if you believe this is another issue if you believe stonk 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 compensation for employees should count mm-hmm. you know stock compensation does impact the shareholders of the company i kind of yeah. don't care <laughs> i kind of care about the actual revenue of the business or whatever i don't care right but, you probably do at some point have to rein in crazy Silicon Valley stock compensation, which got out of control. And that's actually happening. I don't know about yeah. Uber, but other places are like, yeah, you're lucky to have a job. <laughs> We're <laughs> gonna you're not getting you're not, you're not you getting don't have tons of funny money. Right? Well, I mean, remember the days of like, you know, hey, I have an offer from Google, I have an offer from Facebook, I got an offer from Apple. Yeah. And I could have offers from Airbnb and Uber. But um, I have too many offers to even consider at this moment in time. Therefore, I'll work for your startup if you pay me like half of the money you just raised. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we go work at Apple, please. We can't. <laughs> I beg you. We can't absorb you. Please. I can't be having this. All right. Listen, this brand has a special place in my heart. The founders, Brandon and Carmen, are Twist listeners. They've been for a long time. And they told me they started this company. I kid you not. After listening to the pod and reading my book, Angel. Oh my God, that warms my heart. In fact, their first angel investment wound up being a big hit. What did they do with the money they made? They used the returns from that investment to start a macadamia nuts business. I am crazy. Happens to be my favorite nut. I love it with dark chocolate. And you can see this graphic on the screen. Not all nuts are created equal. This is why you need to get on macadamia nuts. Compared to peanuts, almonds, cashews, and walnuts, macadamia nuts are higher in omega-7s. That's what's been linked uh, to fat loss and natural collagen. And they have more healthy fats. They also have less carbs because, uh, you know, listen, I'm trying to lose a little weight here. And the product is vegan, keto, and paleo. Take it from me. I eat these macadamias all the time. They're totally delicious. And I love the bars. They have spicy ones. They've got dark chocolate covered ones. Here's what I want you to do. Here's your call to action. Get in on macadamias. I'm all in on them. Houseofmacadamias.com slash twist right now for 20% off just for being a listener. The nuts are delicious. The bars are amazing. And of course, the dark chocolate dip packs are my favorite. Houseofmacadamias.com slash twist. Friday variety show goes on turning mm, to the world round. of Web3 and the metaverse. Yeah, just a quick little update on a drama throughout the last couple of days. Decentraland, which is a mm-hmm. blockchain. What is Decentraland? Oh, it's virtual land, a virtual land metaverse that I believe uh, they spent like yeah. $2 billion on. Disputed claims that mm. it's billion dollar virtual land metaverse had only 38 active users in mm. one day mm. they said that's absolutely not true for example from october 6th through the 12th the platform averaged 7,000 unique visitors per day uh, and put a, a dashboard out but i would say even though there's a large delta between 38 and 7,000, mm. if you spend a billion dollars on a product and that's where you landed it might be a slow grower 
there's a thing called uh, DAP radar. This shows yeah. you like the sales and stuff like that. It's worth pulling up the chart here uh, and, and looking at it. Um, if you put it at 30 days and you look at the transactions and the historical activity, my lord, the volumes and transactions have just hit the floor on this thing. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's just going to be rough on all of these things that don't actually provide value in the world. Now, if it was a startup and the startup failed to get traction, you'd be like, okay, no problem. But if a startup right. has sold whatever amount, I don't know what the actual amount of real estate that they grifted onto consumers uh, is, but people bought a lot of this stuff, you know, mm -hmm. and just like people bought a lot of NFTs. And so that's really the challenge here is people bought so much into these systems, you know, millions, hundreds of millions, in some cases, you know, maybe yeah. even a billion. I think what it really comes down to, too, is like, if, if at this point, a founder came to us, let's say somebody, you know, we've asked people to come and founder university and like, bring mm. an idea. Mm. If your idea is, I am going to build a virtual land company in the metaverse, or I'm going to build yeah. anything for the metaverse at this point. Yeah. We're going to tell you, well, you see how this thing shakes out. Like it's a little too early for you as a founder, probably mm -hmm. to get the kind of traction that you're going to yeah. want. I mean, people are looking at, we didn't really this week get into the Facebook uh, Oculus, the new lens. We were going to have mm -hmm. Alex on. We just couldn't make it work. We had such a busy week. Mm. But you know, I, I kind of feel like it's still DOA. I feel like people don't want these headsets. I feel like there's no use case. I think across the board, they're increasing the fidelity, they're making it faster. But to what end? If there's nothing for people to do, and then there was some memo uh, earlier in the week where Facebook was like, listen, you guys got to use this product, we're building it, you know, I need you to use it. And that's <laughs> yeah. like, when, you know, Google was like, please use Android phones, people are showing up to work with iPhones, we need mm -hmm. everybody here to use a Chromebook, we need you all to use Android phones. You know, and I'd be at a party and I'd see, you know, Google executives and like, Two out of three would have an Android and one out of three would be like, yeah, I got an Android in my backpack, but I use my iPhone. <laughs> when I'm at the office, like literally somebody told me when I'm at the office, I don't take out my iPhone. <laughs> I, I take out my Android when I'm at an industry event, I take out my Android. Yeah. But I'm using my iPhone when I'm not, you know, whatever. and now global market share of Android is much, much, much larger. Sure. Right. Than iPhone like that. It's so it's not to say that the metaverse won't ever get there. But if I were going to start a company now, it would mm. not be based in the metaverse. The problem I have is the metaverse has been here for a long time and it's boring and there's no use case and people don't get any value from it. I did watch uh, Boz, uh, the CTO over Facebook, tweeted yeah. a couple of the videos and I watched one of the videos and it showed a woman at her desk with a keyboard and mouse wearing the headset. Mm -hmm. And just like we have these multi-monitor setups that we love with rigs and floating monitors, she had the three floating monitors and she was typing on a key, a real keyboard, I think, or it could have been a virtual one. It was hard to mm -hmm. tell, but. She did have like three screens up and I was thinking, hey, you know, you're at your Airbnb here. What if you could bring your headset or you on a flight and you had three giant screens and you were, you know, a day trader or you got your Slack and your Spotify and you're just rocking out without having to have a setup, you know, that's kind of yeah. dope. You know, if you it's were on the cool. Google, if you're on the Google bus or an airplane or I don't know, you're, you're sitting in like a, a park and you know, you're on this, you're on the ski lift going up for 10 minutes, you're in a gondola, you put this thing on and you can pop up your desktop. I mean, it's kind of trippy. I, I don't I mean, know if I want to do that. I think I'd want to enjoy the view, but sure, as much as people, you know, it's funny because everybody dunks on like there was a big announcement with Microsoft that like teams and all these mm. the Microsoft productivity suite is all going to happen in the metaverse. And, you know, sure. Satya is like, I'm all in on this. And it's funny because it's easy to dunk on it. 
but the best use case for VR right now is work. And that it may is. be boring, but it turns out it's made Microsoft a lot yeah. of money. And so I, think, yeah. I like fine, right? That's okay if it's kind of boring and it makes work way cooler and you can actually collaborate yes. on stuff and you can do designs together in a space and like mm. there's some awesome work possibilities that yeah. can be done it's just that you know when you get up and you have like this big event and you show it off and you got mark doing his god king dance and whatever it's yeah. like just make it for work like you don't have to sex it up it's for how work. much of their how much of their lack of success is attributable to or and i don't want to say the people making fun of it because that's obviously in large part due to zuckerberg's personality but somebody asked me this do you think the thing would be yeah. People would be rooting for it a little more. People would be more apt to try it. If it wasn't Zuckerberg and his bad reputation, do you think it has any impact on the adoption of the product itself? I do. I 100% do. He really? has fallen into the, I mean, it. it is not the case that everything that is being built in the metaverse and for the Oculus Quest is actually just a universe where Mark Zuckerberg gets to be the God King. Mm. But it's way too easy to come away with that impression because he has made himself, I'm not even going to say, there's no they here. He. Yeah has he, made himself the face of this thing. He is sitting yes. here saying, I'm the Steve Jobs of He's this not. whole yeah. universe. Yeah. And presumably some version of him thinks that people like him enough to want to buy what he's selling. The best thing, like Facebook has a narrative problem. The best they thing do. they could do is get him the hell away from this. Totally. Put somebody Instead else of in trying charge. to make him the, the yeah. Steve Jobs of it because he's not. I mean, they just never... I don't think they understand the product market fit here. Mm -hmm. What they should be doing is they should have somebody who's like a real expert at productivity, you know, and workforce stuff. And then somebody who's a real expert at art. And then somebody who's a real expert. This is what I would do if I was Zuck. I'd have somebody yeah. who's an artist and really good at art. Somebody who's really good at education. Somebody who's really good at work. And I'd say, listen, I, uh, you know, as a technologist, I'm obsessed with the screen and I'll tell you all about you know, how we are investing in the hardware and the platform. But let's be honest, the apps are what are going to define this. Mm -hmm. And I would like to introduce you to the greatest artist. And she's going to show you the art she's using. And, uh, and by the way, MIT has some of these great courses and uh, uh, Stanford as well. They're going to be doing their biology courses, and they're going to be doing their engineering courses now inside of this. Let, let's let the teachers speak for themselves and, and the artists uh, speak for themselves. And in terms of productivity, you know, uh, communications is everything, you know, here's zoom, and they right. should bring zoom on and say, or zoom, you show Satya. it. Here's Satya. Yeah. That here's guy Satya has brand, using, yeah. right? He's got brand value. Like if he's up there, sure. I'm like, Oh, okay, I'm this is real. And I'm into it. But just don't have Zuckerberg do any of it. I know that sounds kind of harsh. It's his baby or whatever. But the more the further you get him away from this, the better specifically also, even from a public shareholder perspective because if that's all you see is him just only caring about this instead of the money printing machine pretty soon you're like is that thing gonna keep making money because this thing is gonna fail so bad um because of his leadership i think i think his leadership is really bad and he doesn't have people around him to tell him like mm, this isn't gonna work dude mm -hmm. education is the most impressive thing you'll ever see on this stuff and he keeps thinking that it's walking around talking to people and he thinks what happened on Facebook is now going to happen here. I don't mm -hmm. buy that. None of us buy that. None of us want that. There is not a Facebook equivalency to the metaverse. The metaverse is going to be, I want to learn how to do open heart surgery. I want to learn how to, 
you know, do mechanical engineering. I, I just want to understand biology because I'm taking a biology course. Man, when I'm in there, I'm learning faster. Okay, I want to travel. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be traveling to this area of the world. I aspire to go to Paris and Europe, I'm going to do a highlights and then I'll plan my trip to Europe based on the places I visited there that I actually want to see and where I want to visit the Louvre. I'd love to walk around the Louvre or Pompeii, you know, there's places you're not allowed to go through anymore, right? You, I don't think you're allowed to go on all the parts of the Acropolis. But mm -hmm. you could make a digital Acropolis where you could spend time there. I actually saw a startup that was doing its own version of a digital Acropolis. You could actually really spend some time in the Acropolis and then go back in time and hit a slider. Hey, show me what happened in the Acropolis a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago. Totally. This stuff gets really fracking interesting. And he doesn't get that. No. He doesn't understand what this is going to be used for. His use case, he's so blinded by the use case and he's going to sink this company. They need to split it into two companies. Put $50 billion in cash into oculus and spin it back out and let it sink and swim on its own and then bring cheryl sandberg back and let her do the collection of advertising based stuff and make her the ceo of the facebook corporation with her own instagram and whatsapp and yeah. split them yeah. split them they do and they're not the same thing and you need to have an app developer community that trusts you and he burned that bridge so many times that no developers are going to build for him because they know what's going to happen if i built yeah. that acropolis app you know what's going to happen Rock he's going to lord it over you. He's going to cut your throat. He's going to replicate it. He's going to copy it. And he's going to take 50% of your revenue. At least with Apple, you know, like, yeah, they'll copy some stuff every six, seven years later, they'll steal some WhatsApp feature or snap feature to put in iMessage. But they kind of give you a seven year window to exploit stuff. And they only add it to iMessage when they have to because people are like, why doesn't this thing have GIF support? You know? Yeah. Anyway, end of rant. Yeah. No, nope, 100%. You got me on the Vinsanto. Endorse. Pensando. All right, last thing in the lightning round, we have a follow-up from a thing that we have what? been watching for a long time. Breaking news today. Beep, beep, boop. Netflix announced mm. pricing for its new mm. ad-supported tier called Basic. Okay, Great. so Lex calls you Basic. Literally called Basic. Basic. It's for basic I beeps. know, it's for basic bees. I know you're dying oh, to buy this I'm already. I'm not going to say okay. basic. So if you oh, know... Man that netflix lowest tier currently costs 9.99 and it's sure. like the resolution of a vcr it's like 480p or something yeah, 720 sucks. super embarrassing 9.99 480 i think yeah how much do you think netflix is charging for its ad supported tier called basic well because i think they're stupid about pricing and they don't get mm -hmm. it they're going to charge 7.95 i don't know but i'm guessing 7.95 6.99 you're close okay yeah 699 is pretty cheap i mean is it compared to 999 for no ads they i mean granted with vaseline over is, the lens i have an idea for them okay make it 39 dollars a year screw yeah. it yeah just let people buy by year if you want this you have to buy it for two years for 99 dollars. boom done pay in advance also, they get all that cash up front even boom. basic hmm. is capped at 720p I don't mind it so much. I don't. I don't know if people can change the, the, but it, but you got to give people something for upgrading, I guess. So wait, we're at you got basic you bees. Upgrade to get no ads, right? Okay, but if you're a basic bee, yeah, you pay seven bucks. You pay seven bucks a month. If you're a mid, what do you pay? You pay nine ninety nine. You pay twelve. If you're a mid, you pay nine ninety nine. Assuming they're going to keep that tier. Got it. I don't think they announced that and they're going to change dopey, the rest right? of the I'm tiers. dopey, lugs. I'm luxury, and I pay like seventeen dollars for shit I don't even use, like four K. Yeah, same. 
I'm an idiot. I was anyway. paying. Uh, no, I was paying the 19.99 a month, and then I realized that's ridiculous uh, because there's like hardly anything even in 4K, and it's not like I can see it. I can't see it. I'm almost 50. For God's this sake, is gonna and work. so I dropped down to 15. I gotta tell you right now, this is gonna work big time. I might need it's to J trade. I'm great. gonna J trade some Netflix. I can see so many people who currently on Netflix, and they're gonna just be like, "Oh, six bucks a month." You know, they don't even put the 99 in there. Your mind just says six bucks. Yeah, it's like yeah. a latte and a croissant. You know, even they if you're a Dunkin' Donuts think, person, you're like, eh, it's two Dunkins. I think if they're going to do this, they should get rid of the nine ninety nine tier. Because the thing is, if I'm thinking $6 or $9, and the difference in resolution is exactly the same, but one has ads and one doesn't, mm. like, it almost feels like a trick to just get me to pay the 10 you know? Mm. You know, I, this is the Dunkin' more. Donuts. I see we have to use the proper coffee here. This is okay. the Dunkin' crowd. I love a good Dunkin' Donuts. I don't know Dunkies. Dunkies. This is like for a Dunkin' crowd. It's like the Boston guys in Dunkin'. You Duncan, do you like you all know? the sugar. You want all the uh, like, like, sweetness. But you get all. two donuts and a nice coffee for like, you're in and out for six bucks, five bucks, you know, and you go to Starbucks, yeah. you get a you get a scone, right? You go to Starbucks, you get like a four or five dollar coffee and a three or four dollar scone. Because you're and paleo. I get the sous vide egg bites. It's a little fancy, mm -hmm. you know? Those like are Boston amazing. guys don't want sous vide nothing. And they don't certainly want a scone. Because they're not right. British. They're getting a, like a scone and a flat white. That's not happening. Yeah, no. That's like $9. You know, yeah. if you go to Dunkin', you're in and out for five, six. This is for the Dunkin' crowd. It's That's what I'm convinced. It's great pricing. I think it could be six. If it's going to be 720p and it's going to be ad supported, you do mm. five ninety nine. Because then aren't you in the, isn't Disney Plus still in something insane no, like that? No, they're like, going up. They were seven. They were, I think when they started, they were seven They launched at like six or seven. Yeah. Yeah. But that's going to be their ad tier now. So that'll be their ad tier. Um, and uh, yeah, the pricing okay. is now. So if it's right in basic line with standard Disney. premium. Yeah. Basic with ads, basic, standard and premium. I mean, can somebody just give basic. us two? Let me tell you something. Anything that's more than two choices is two choices is too many is yeah. one or two choices too many. Yes, they got to simplify this. Just make it premium. Make it ad and premium. Oh, it's, it was Apple TV that I was thinking of. Okay, so Apple TV Plus is still mm -hmm. Four ninety nine. Well, that's because no they do ads. two shows a month. That's insane. They're dabbling. They're Discovery just dabbling. Plus Apple's is four ninety nine. I mean, they are right in line. Disney Plus without ads is seven ninety nine. So yeah. then Netflix is saying, okay. "Pay me a buck less for ads." Hmm. I just think it could have been a little cheaper, or they get rid of the nine ninety nine tier. Whatever. But you know what? I'm just I'm nitpicking at this point. It, the good news is they launched it. Hmm. Now we see if they write the ship on it. Yeah. All right there it is. Yeah. There you go. All That's right. our lightning round. Now we got, uh, what do we got? We got OK Boomer, right? Oh, yes. OK Boomer. Rachel, what do you got? This week, I got to speak with Cliff Lerner. Um, so if you guys don't know, it is New York Tech Week. And during Miami Hack Week, I mm. spoke to the creators of Dive Chat, which is the chatting app that we used there. Now mm. there's a new chatting app. It's called Saturdays. And mm. I like this one a lot because it has a map feature in it. So any group chat you're in, you can see where people are mm. on a map which is really, really convenient during weeks like this. I turned my right. map off. I'm in ghost mode for everything, including Snapchat. And we discussed uh, the safety features and everything like that in the episode. Mm. But Cliff has experience um, building social apps in the past. And I'm really excited to see other community managers kind of jump on this app because I, I think this has been my favorite mm. one that I've used for an event so far. I cannot wait to see this. And I'm so excited to see this idea come back around because Jake, yeah, I'm certain that you remember the South by Southwest 
Yeah. There was like one infamous year of South by Southwest where was it Foursquare? There was some app that was doing Foursquare this. broke out there. There was another one called Submarine or something. Right. Uh, but there was so one there were that a was bunch of different ones. Had location yeah. and everybody was like, oh, it was Foursquare. People were ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Then it was Twitter. And then there was like a Periscope one or something. Not Periscope the video, but there was another one. And it's basically all the same concept. You, you have your mm -hmm. location, you chat, you see it on a map and, uh, you know, you can then triangulate and find people and it's kind of fun like um and i think people should uh bring these back there was one called twist actually twist.com uh, that my friend billy had backed that was mm -hmm. really cool if the three of us were going to go to a music festival we would all load twist and or if we were all going to a destination so you know how ways you can send somebody or thing yeah imagine if ways allowed you on a group trip to just say hey leave this on for the next 48 hours 72 hours and this yeah. has been built into iMessage now i think you can share your location yeah. to the end of the day and that's what this is right saturday yeah. same thing same it thing. shares i believe for the duration that you're in the group chat and you're allowed to turn mm -hmm. on and off mm -hmm. your location yeah so i live in new york city so i don't really want people knowing you know what i'm up to and where i'm staying and where i'm living and i'm yeah. not going to too much stuff for tech week but it's really cool i kind of want to use it for like a pickup soccer league is like what i want to try totally. to do because we've yeah. seen these apps just die out time and time again with the pickup sports because they're really, really difficult to scale. So I'm like, you know what? A yeah. group chat like this might be a little bit of a better use case in the city. Um, That's a good so, idea. And yeah. people yeah, could it. post where they're having a pickup soccer game. Exactly. And then you could just navigate right to it. I don't this would be great product for punch up, a bar Rachel. crawl. Yeah, it'd be good for a pro it's good for a bar crawl. You know, yeah. like if you're going out with your friends, you got yes. a bar crawl, you it trust all 10 people. It was yeah, used yeah. for the Lower East Side bar call that I missed out on. I was gone the weekend, but they it's exactly one of the use cases that actually a different OK Boomer guest, Andrew Young, used the app for. So it's That's already perfect. started in the league. Yeah, yeah we're going to go out. We're going to get some nachos, whatever. All right, everybody enjoy this. Awesome. Enjoy. Thanks, guys. OK Boomer. I understood the assignment. Thank you so much, Cliff Lerner, for joining today on OK Boomer. If you guys don't know and aren't in New York City right now, the app Saturdays is totally popping off for Tech Week, and Cliff is one of the co-founders. Awesome. Thanks. I'm super excited to be here and uh, share the story we've been uh, up to lately. Yeah. So you're a little bit different than people I normally have on. This um, segment is called OK Boomer. So I normally have people around my age that just graduated college or, or even younger, still in college, um, that are founders or VCs. You have a really awesome history in the social space and a ton of people my age are hopping on the bandwagon of using Saturdays. So I was like, okay, I, I still really, really have to have you on because you've absolutely just, like I said, taken over um, New York's really big event circuit in tech this year. Thank you. Are you saying the gray in my beard is showing my age? I, I no, sometimes no, like no, to no. fancy that I'm still in college. Not, uh. <laughs> not at all. I, uh, I, I think it's really, really cool how you obviously have had a pretty long history with creating different platforms that people are using. And I think you need to explain your background. I'm just very, very impressed. You are not a one hit wonder. Um, you've created like several different platforms that have really taken off. And this one is, in my opinion, going to stick around for a while and i'm excited to see where it's going to go but for the audience why don't you give everybody just who are you and what was your background i guess before coming and creating saturdays uh thank you you're too kind with those words and you know you're not wrong i'm not gen z which has kind of made this really interesting to build a lot of pros and cons but my background is after college i worked on wall street realized i did not um, do well taking instruction from other people needed to do my own thing and I thought, life's short. Let's have fun. Let's build a product that I would use all my friends were using. 
in a space I thought would grow really quickly. So I started a dating app many years ago, and it was doing okay. And I read this article about Facebook launching a platform. Facebook wasn't Facebook yet. They were launching their APIs. No one knew what this was. And you could tap into what uh, is now known as a social graph. In the real world, people met through their friends in dating. Online, back then, if your friends knew you were using a dating site, you were an outcast. No one would talk to you. And I like weird ideas. And my product view is, as an entrepreneur, look for something people are doing in the real world and see if you can use technology to make it faster, better, and cheaper. So I thought, this is interesting. Let's build an app on Facebook, a dating app, where basically you can go through your friends, find out who likes you. This was so taboo. And we put it out there. And at first, it didn't work. Uh, and we quickly iterated. I'm very data-driven. And I looked back in history, what product really would make the experience super fun, super easy, super quick? And what you now see today as what's known as Tinder and Bumble used to actually be Hot or Not. That was actually really the first true viral product. And we introduced the Hot or Not experience, browsing one photo at a time. And we introduced what's called a double-blind match. And it would be, hey, Rachel, some of your friends like you, but you have to invite friends to figure out who. And we woke up with 100,000 users the next day, a million by the end of the week, 10 million by the month. Long story short, that grew to 100 million users. We were actually the first one to do swiping, Tinder and Bubble get the credit today, and ran that for many years. And during COVID, really started to get the itch again to build social. You know, everyone was kind of bored, not much to do during early COVID. And I started to notice a lot of the social dynamics breaking down and how people were connecting. And I always had this itch on location. Nobody had cracked the location uh, problem in social. And I called up my brother, who was my co-founder on the first company, uh, Daryl Lerner, and he agreed. We were both getting older and connecting with our friends and lose connections just becomes harder. So we kind of had a shared vision and said, you know what? Let's do this. And we started building two years ago. It's all kind of uh, come to a head in the last few weeks around New York Tech Week and taken a life of its own. Wow. So this has been in the works for a while. Yeah, it's a problem I've been thinking about for a long time. I like to sit on a problem for a long time and think and analyze. And I literally studied every social product, every location-based product in the last 20 years. You know, the most famous, some people might remember, and you know, my age uh, will come out here is Foursquare. Gowalla, Bright Kite, Looped was uh, Sam Altman. And there have been a ton of course since. Um, and they all failed for various reasons. And I studied them all asked a lot of questions from users who use those products, and it became pretty clear to me where the pitfalls were, where the problems with the products were, and they weren't solving the right problems. So we kind of went with a blank slate and, and said, let's give this a shot. That's super interesting. And I've noticed like the maps um, sector has gotten pretty big, not over the past two years. I guess I'm not that tuned in. But over the past probably year, especially since the pandemic has hit, and a lot of my friends work from home. Sharing your location with somebody, especially on maybe Find My Friends, uh, almost feels like a form of social currency. And obviously, Snapchat has the Snap Map and things like that. Um, but Find Your Friends is something that is super duper accurate. Whereas the Snapchat Map wasn't crazy accurate. I think it only refreshed like when you opened the app. And with Saturdays, it it gives you an extremely extremely specific location. And how the app works, like when you open it, is basically that location is shared with the other people in the group chat, correct? We've changed things very rapidly. I actually, from building many social products, uh, I've probably built four or five social apps over the years, mostly dating that grew to millions of users. 
and wanted to build a social product. And one thing I've learned is the female experience is everything. Guys don't need specific features and nuances around uh, safety and privacy as much as women do. So my advice, anyone building anything in consumer and social, make sure, especially if you're a guy, you're focusing on that female experience. It's very different. You got to get it right. So we actually interviewed over 100 females wow. asking them, yep, yep, focus sessions, mostly in college. What do you like and not like about whether it was nearby friends on Facebook, Snap Maps, Life360, you name it. The responses we got were fascinating, something we never would have imagined. And it really started to paint a picture why none of them have solved the problem. And, and let me just take a step back. To me, the problem is the day you leave college, you need to recreate your social circle. And we frame the problem as who do I know that's around and who should I know? We want to engineer serendipity. All the time you're saying, I want to grab a beer, go to an event, find people I know. And this is similar to you look on Instagram when you travel, you share a post. What you're really saying is, I'm in London. I kind of want to brag about it, but I also want to see who I know is here, but I don't want to feel obligated to hang out with you. Right? That's what people are saying. It's the post, I'm traveling to San Francisco. Who's around? Who should I meet? I'm moving to New York City. Who should I know? All of these, we kind of think about as, who do I know that's around and who should I know? And what we discovered actually is, we built at first our product, like you described, like all these other location products around this concept of precise location. And we spoke to actually probably 200 females. And 90% of them were in what's called ghost mode on Snapchat. And what's fascinating is we kept asking why. I'm a big believer in the five whys because you really have to keep asking why to truly understand what their pain point is. And the, there were two things that came out. Women would go into ghost mode, one, because if they're not in ghost mode, it would be interpreted as kind of a beacon. You can message me. And they would get all these text messages and it would be overwhelming. But two, it's just creepy for people to know where you're sleeping at night. It's just creepy. And there's no need to know most of the time which Starbucks you're at. And what we did is we said, that's really interesting. Every single location-based product has put you on a map exactly where you are. And a lot of them have actually forced you to tell us where you are all the time. And I'm a big believer in building consumer social products. You really have to focus on the user experience at all costs. And I can get into this. You have a lot of entrepreneurs now from the younger generation who are obsessed with growth hacks. And there's no product in history that started with a growth hack. All of the products that you read about that had these quote-unquote growth hacks first had an absolutely incredible user experience that was supported by data that people loved. And then the quote-unquote growth hack presented itself. So we've really focused on what is the great experience. And for us to engineer serendipity, and us meaning me and you, Rachel, right? It would be weird. We met a month ago through, uh, you know, the amazing Andrew Young, which we'll talk about. And it would be weird if I texted you. What's the context? Is he trying to date me? This is too formal. I don't know him that well. But if we both happen to be in the same area, clearly active on a product, then it wouldn't be weird to say, Oh, what are you doing in the neighborhood? So the long story short is, I think a lot of these products have just gotten it wrong. People don't want to share their precise location a lot of the time. So we really actually changed the experience, which made the app take off about two months ago, where we put you in a neighborhood. It's not creepy for me to know you're in the West Village 
or Andrew is in Williamsburg at all. And people want to share that. Now we can engineer some serendipity and magic. So that was one of the uh, kind of killer learning experiences over the last two years. It took us two years to get there, but it's been a game changer for us. Yeah, I am definitely one of those people that's in ghost mode. And that was one of my issues when I first actually used the app Be Real was I don't mind um, having my I think my location on Twitter says Manhattan, right? Um, so if I tweet, I don't I don't mind people knowing that I, I love living in New York City. I think it's pretty evident. I talk about living in New York City. I talk about living in Manhattan in particular quite often. So I don't mind that. And then over on Twitter, but with Be Real, whenever I posted, um, even though it's only to a handful of people, granted, you were able to get that really specific location. And I'm somebody who lives around a bunch of bars and restaurants, right? So you could see the locations of any of those bars and restaurants that they would think like that I was at. Um, and I was like, you know what? Like, that's just way too particular. So I like the idea of having like a vague idea or maybe say like uh, somebody like lives in, I don't know, like Soho or in Gramercy Park. Like, I think that would be really, really helpful. Just the same way, like when you're in college and at Penn State where I went, we have like East Halls is where all the freshmen live. South Halls are where all the sorority floors were. So you kind of knew where people lived like in that way and like that almost like your little community. And I think this app in particular is amazing for cities like New York, where everything is fairly accessible, but things are really spread out. So you can get anywhere, but it would be really convenient if you could see who's in the area, because I definitely have had issues even like very recent where there's this girl and I met her when we were um, out at a party and we had a lot of things in common. She's like, I just moved. Like, I'm having a really hard time meeting other girlfriends. It's really easy to meet guys because dating apps, but girls are hard. Um, and we found out she lives an hour away, really deep into Brooklyn. And she's like, I really wish I could meet more people in my area of Brooklyn because they come into Manhattan. We're all um, like the area that we were out in. She's like, and I see all these young people. And I know there must be people like in my area of Brooklyn, but because it's more suburban um, and there aren't as many places to go out. She's just like not meeting them. Is there like a certain demographic of people that like Saturday is, is specifically targeting? Right. And it's, it's interesting you describe that. And wouldn't it be a magical experience if an app just sent you a push notification or you opened it and it said, look, that person you met a few weeks ago is actually in the same neighborhood. And you know, one of our big learnings, we actually tested on colleges, and that's where we learned a lot. And it didn't work well at first. You think about social apps, you think you need to target your best friends. And we started to try to get all your besties on here. And it took us a year to learn this. People have perfect information about their best friends. They know where they are. They know what they're doing. The app wasn't working. And what we realized is there was a core set of users who were hooked on the app, and they didn't have many friends. And I started calling them up. Got to really always ask your, your users, why, why, why? And they said, I don't know this person too well. I haven't spoken to them in six months, but I feel connected knowing what city they're in. And what we realized is, especially during COVID, you know, normal social constructs broke, broke down during COVID. And just by knowing the location of these loose connections kept you connected. So we shifted the product to focus on these groups. We realized the magic in your life happens in what's what uh, I'll call friends 10 through 1,000. These are the loose connections. And there's no good way to contact them. You meet them. You add them on LinkedIn. You add them on Snapchat. You add them on Twitter. You get their phone number. None of them are right. The only way to actually connect with them in real life is through location information. And that's where we completely shifted our mindset and said, okay, 
if we can get most users willing to share us, share with us their passive location, general neighborhood vicinity, we can create magic all the time. And if you think right now, let's say you want to grab lunch, right? There's probably 50 or more people you've met over the last few years, whether it's from Penn State or just uh, through podcasts that are within a mile that would grab lunch with you. But how do you reach out to them? There's no good way. And that's what I think we're trying to solve. And you know, it came together near Tech Week. Uh, Andrew Young, who I think is the most influential Gen Z um, community builder. Actually, a fun little story. I, I went to an event at the Williamsburg Hotel, and the energy was just incredible. Everyone was so nice, genuine. And I said, this was a couple months ago, I need to meet the person who put on this event. So I've been to a lot of events. It was different. And Andrew is sort of like um, Kaiser Sosa. Nobody knows who he is, but everyone talks about him. And I couldn't find him at the event. And I kept cold emailing him. And then finally, one day, he gets back to me and says, Cliff, I checked out Saturday. This is the app I've been waiting for. I moved here a couple years ago, couldn't meet people. Let's partner. And we've partnered for New York Tech Week. There's 7, 800 people in the chat room now. And it's, the feedback has been incredible. And what I'm most excited about, when New York Tech Week is over and everyone starts spreading out, going back to their cities, they're going to open the app and instantly be able to have what I hope uh, will be a magical aha experience. Say, oh, there's actually 15 people from New York Tech Week that are within a few miles from me. I now have a way to stay connected to them. And anytime you go to an event, and even when you graduate college, you're always asking, how do I stay in touch with the people I've met over the years? And as time goes by, people move away. And how do I know when they're nearby? And that's really what we've been trying to solve. Um, and it's, uh, it's been pretty cool. The last month through New York Tech Week and working with Andrew, things have taken a life of its own. The feedback has been incredible. Um, and we'll see where it goes from here. Andrew was able to join us on the podcast previously on episode uh, 1551 for a segment of OK Boomer, which was awesome. And I think this ties really well with Andrew because as somebody that works completely remote and for the company that I work for, um, it's me, Nick, we have two editors and uh, our hosts, Jason and Molly. And there's the launch team, but basically those are the people that I'm interacting with um, on a day-to-day basis online. And only Nick is based remotely close to me and he's not that close. He lives kind of, you know, lives, he doesn't live in Manhattan. Um, so I don't really have coworkers that I'm meeting in person. So when I moved to New York, meeting people and going to events like ones that Andrew put on were awesome because it really, like, especially in the age of uh, remote work, going to events like that and putting yourself out there, even if you're not the most social person, that's just how you're going to meet people in a city. Like, we're not going into an office anymore. And unless you're somebody that's really good about walking up to people in like a WeWork, or are somebody that, you know, it's going to a bar a lot um, and able to keep up making those relationships at bars and texting people, like you said, that follow up. I think events really are the main way I've been able to meet like a new group of people. Um, but you're totally right. I default the, the most awkward thing too is going to an event, especially the ones that Andrew puts on, where it's a wide variety of people, which is lovely, but you go to one group and they're like, oh, add me on Instagram. You go to another group and they're like, oh, uh, let's connect on Twitter. You go to another group and they're like, what the heck? Like, Why aren't we just like texting? Like, That's really weird. You have another group and it's like, oh, like this is a professional setting. Like, I'll give you my email. So Saturdays, I found, is not only nice because of the map location, but it kind of gives like every person, no matter their background at his events, like a singular place to go 
we need that. Like that, that is definitely something that I think Andrew, he's been trying really hard to use um, his presence on Twitter and on Instagram and through his newsletter. But having Saturdays, keeping everybody in one place, that is definitely something that I hope more community managers get on the bandwagon of. Right. And going to an event is still very intimidating for a lot of people. There's 5 to 10% of people have no problem walking up to a stranger. But if you don't know people going, and I'm actually an introvert, you don't love going to events because you've got to talk to strangers and everyone's trying to size everyone up. When we launched this on colleges, I mentioned I did 200 interviews. College students kept saying, it would be amazing if I knew where the freshmen were, where the seniors were, if you're a senior, which bar was hopping, where people were watching the game, which library the engineers were studying at. And we actually built those features similar to a dating site where you can add tags. So for you, it would be, you know, maybe we put startups and we would let people filter the map. And it was a massive fail, right? Imagine there was the map right now and you filtered it for startups and you saw me what do we actually have in common? What we realized is what people truly want to connect around is trusted connections. So we recreated a product around groups and introduced friends or friends. So imagine the next time you're thinking about doing something, whether you're bored, whether you're going to an event, and you can, in the room, instantly see, oh, there's 14 people who are connected to Rachel. Let me now message them, or at least I have a reason to talk to them. That's not weird and creepy. And, and there's a trusted connection. So one of our big game changers about a month ago is we launched Friends with Friends on the map. And this specifically goes to our vision of answering the questions, who do I know that's around? Who should I know? Who's in San Francisco? People don't want to meet strangers. They're not good at that. They want to meet through trusted connections. You know, similar... A lot of clues from the dating uh, days hinged back in the day, really nailed it with friends of friends. So, you know, that's been very powerful. And everyone who's connected to someone like you, someone like an Andrew, you know, it's a trusted connection. They're going to be genuine. They're going to be kind. You want to meet them. And the relationship just builds very quickly the right way. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited to see um, where Saturdays goes, especially after New York Tech Week. I, like I said, if anybody is a community manager or is hosting an event or honestly just as a friend group that is new it's not that close i recommend i think this would also be cool throwing this out there i recommend saturdays but i i also think it would be cool if maybe somebody wanted to start like a pickup like soccer league or basketball league i see a lot of apps that fail with this because they can't tell like who lives in the area i think it would be nice if a uh of a pickup sports league i don't know maybe maybe joined this because this might be kind of cool um, but Andrew's thank you so much. Simon actually created yeah. a pickup basketball no group, and a few of us met, including people we met on Saturday and we played pickup basketball. That's funny. Yep. Dang it. I, I thought I was coming up with something new. Well, thank you so much, Cliff, for joining us on this segment of OK Boomer. Where can people find you, and where can people find Saturdays? Awesome. Yeah, you can find it in the App Store under Saturday, but it's really much better when you onboard through a group. So I'd say follow me on Twitter, Cliff Lerner, C L I F F L E R N E R. And uh, give me a DM and we're kind of testing a bunch of groups sort of under the radar to avoid the stranger danger. And I'll invite you to some groups and you know, instantly you'll have a few hundred uh, new best friends. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Cliff. Thanks. All right, everybody. Uh, that is it for Variety Show. Happy Hour Friday. <laughs> we're just putting the drinks down and going to bed. But we have an awesome show coming up on Sunday. We're not done. This week is not done. <laughs> mm. Mayday. Mayday. Sorry. He's just topping up. He's just topping up. Keep talking, Molly. I'm 
Um, yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. I got okay. you, boo. We have yeah. BC Sunday School coming up on Sunday, Excellent. like always. And we're using we're doing our new thing where we use a thing in the news, news to peg. kick off a conversation. Yeah, exactly. The kids they call, call it a news, a news peg in the industry. We talk about the wing, which announced that it was shutting down for good in August and have mm. a conversation about when you might want to intervene as a BC. If you see a founder going off the rails when a project is about a founder more than it's about a business. Um, and yeah. what are what are some of the moments that we can step in to keep you from driving your convertible off the PCH? I mean, just guidance, you know, during times of trouble is a great role for uh, a board of directors. In fact, it's why they're there. And you have to wonder with the wing, yeah, what went wrong here? Because this was such an amazing um, product, I think. And, and I don't know if you saw, Molly, there was a little breaking news, uh, which came out after we taped the segment. We, we, we taped the Sunday school. We don't actually get up on Sundays. Dude. The yeah. founder being sued for like a million eight or something for back rent. She signed a personal guarantee. When yeah. you sign leases, I mean, another piece of advice, you could never let the founder sign a personal guarantee because in the case this happens, this founder is going to go bankrupt personally. Mm -hmm. going to lose this everything. Is, this is 100% a thing that we would have intervened on. 100% as, as board members. Yeah. And then who do, you, who do you have for your um, who do you have for the founder CEO uh, discussion on Sunday? Yeah, for this week in climate startups, I talked to Alan Chang, the founder and CEO of a company called Tesseract Energy. Mm. This is super interesting. The goal is to generate affordable renewable power and mm. solve climate change. No big deal yeah. by financing and building the, the creation of tons and tons and tons of renewable energy via token sales. Okay, interestingly enough, this is like my second token conversation that i didn't hate but also they're selling where in markets yeah. where they're allowed they're selling energy direct to consumer at a Love huge it. huge discount which you can imagine in the european market where they operate kind mm -hmm. of a big deal right now all right it's going to be a great show so we'll see you on sunday have a restful saturday everybody bye-bye bye-bye